opportunity. And uh, I want to thank you for letting me stay in the gravelly bed and breakfast. Amen. So looking around, seeing a lot of folks I know, a lot of friends. Thank the Lord for that. And I have two things going for me. It's afternoon. I have two things going for me uh, in the message. I'm old. And so if I mess up, you say, oh, bless his heart, he's old. And the other thing is, you don't care what I say as long as I get done in time to eat. Amen. So I got those two things going for me today in the message. But I want to spend a moment in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, I've been studying some of these passages over again that I I call familiar passages, uh, passages that are well known. And um, you might call them cornerstones in the scripture and uh, just trying to find some fresh things, things that would help me. And God's been dealing with my heart about some things. And I want to just share it with you a little bit. So we'll read a little bit in Genesis chapter number 22, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and, excuse me, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. We'll stop there.
I'm interested now, we're going to look at several verses in this text, but my text to begin with is in verse number two. And I want you to notice it. Uh, I want to read it and, and remind you of the punctuation in this verse because I believe it's very important. In verse number two, the Bible said, and he said, take now thy son, comma, thine only son, Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest, comma, and get thee in the land of Moriah. Now, I want to deal with this thought for a little while. I'm going to pray, and then I want to preach on this thought. What did God want from Abraham? What did God want from Abraham? Let's pray. Father, we love you today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for loving us first, Lord. Thank you for being a sweet Savior and a precious Lord and a wonderful God. Thank you we can assemble together with the saints of God. Thank you for the sweet word of God, Lord, and the sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross that we might be saved. Lord, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be preaching. I'm glad to be one of your children. I pray you'll help me now. I pray that you'll glorify yourself in the sermon. And Lord, if you get glory, then we'll get help. Help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm wanting to know and thinking in my heart about what God wanted from Abraham. I, I think today if you're saved, if you're born again, you have a desire deep down in your heart to be pleasing unto God, to do what God would have you to do. You have a desire if you're born again, you have a desire that your life would be a living sacrifice unto God, that it would be a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. And so if I want my life to be a living sacrifice, that's what Paul said. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And that's what God wants from me. So I want to know how to go about that. I want to know what God wants from me in this life of faith. And you know, if I look back at Abraham, he is called or referenced in the New Testament as the father of the faithful. He is given to us as an example throughout the scriptures. We read about him especially in Romans 4 about him being a, an example to the believers. So if I'm looking at, at Abraham, I want to know what God really wanted from Abraham. And I noticed I was in a meeting not long ago. I think I was in Boiling Springs, South Carolina. And a fella got up and he preached out of this chapter, chapter 22. And you preachers know what I'm talking about. The fella get up and preach and he got the Holy Ghost on him while he's preaching. And while he's a preaching, God will start dealing with your soul about things and God reminded me of these three things that were said in verse number two. There is a comma separating each one. God said to Abraham, take now thy son, comma, thine only son Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest, comma. Why didn't God just say I want your son? Why didn't God just say take that boy? Why didn't God just say take Isaac? I think you'd agree with me this afternoon that every word in my Bible is there for a reason. I believe it's there by divine design. I don't believe any of it is an error. I don't believe
believe any of it is a mistake. I don't believe any of it was used by God just to fill up some space. I believe, as a matter of fact, I still believe every word in my Bible is inspired and preserved of God. Hallelujah. And if I didn't believe that, I'd go do something else. But anyway, I believe every word is important. And so God said it in three ways as he spoke to Abraham. He said, take now thy son, comma, thine only son Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest. I want us to think about those three statements a moment or those three requests, if you will. And I want us to glean what God wanted from Abraham and what he wants from us. Let me say to you, first of all, he said to Abraham, take now thy son. Now just throw in a little parenthetic expression here. It's not really part of the sermon, but I like that word now. You say, preacher, uh, whatever it is God wants, when does he want it? Right now. He doesn't want it next week or next year. He doesn't want you to chew on it and think about it a while. When he gives us a command and a request, he wants it now. You say, preacher, when should I give it to him? Right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Do it right now. Amen. And so he said, take now thy son. Now here's the first thing I think when I read this passage. God wanted what Abraham had. You know what Isaac is? He is Abraham's possession. Not a possession like a material possession, but as a son, he has been given, uh, Isaac has been given to Abraham and Abraham owns this boy. He is a possession of Abraham. And I think today it would be, it's easy to understand, I think for all of us, that God wants what we have. What do you have? God wants it. You say, now, preacher, I've got this and I've got that. Surely God's not interested. I've worked hard on getting this. Well, let me remind you, in the Old Testament, it is God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. And in the New Testament, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So everything I have, God gave to me, and I'm simply a steward of it. We say, well, I own this, and I on that. I know they are our possessions, but God gave them to us and we ought not become more attached to them than we are to him. It ought to be if God puts his hand on it and said, I want that. We ought to say, all right, Lord, you're more important to me than that is. You're more important to me than that possession. You're more, after all, Lord, you gave it to me anyway. We see that in the life of Job when God allowed the devil to put his hand in Job's life. Somebody said to me one time, I don't, I don't like the idea of God giving the devil leave to attack Job. And I said, I don't like it either, but I do like the fact that he had to get permission from God before he could. And he put his hand in and he took Job's possessions, even Job's children. And what did Job say? The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He did, not, he did not accuse God. He didn't blaspheme God. He made, hallelujah, he made a liar out of the devil. The devil said, take that hedge of protection about, about him. Take that downhill curse into your face. I want to say, hallelujah, the devil was a liar. God, God allowed the devil to put his hands in, but Job never did curse God. What did Job recognize? He recognized everything he had already belonged to God. Sometimes we get, we get so wrapped up in things. 
I used to have a knife collection. I got interested in knives and, and uh, you know, case double X bone handles. And I, I got interested in them knives. I started getting me a little collection. And I was over, I was over preaching. I was preaching a missions conference. Uh, and uh, I was preaching a missions conference. And we were getting ready. We were having a morning service and an evening service. Our afternoon was free. And we were going to go to a, a little flea market up the road. And I had put, now that you can tell how long ago this was, I'd put $25 back in my wallet. I was going to buy a case, a bone handle, double X, peanut pocket knife to carry in my suit. And I'd put that 20. You can't buy one for $25 anymore. But I'd put that money away in my wallet. And uh, I went to that morning service. I got through the first preacher okay. I got through the second preacher okay. But that third preacher got up. He got to preaching about giving. And he made this statement. And I don't know where he got it from, but here's what he said. He said, statistics say that for every $10 that you send to the mission field, a soul gets saved. I had, 20, I had two and a half souls in my pocket that morning. Two and a half souls. And the Lord said, I want that pocket knife money. I want that money. I had it, but it didn't belong to me. It was God's. And so I gave it to him. Hallelujah. I said, I meet a little while ago. And the preacher said, he said, now, Brother McBride, before you preach tonight, and even before we start the service, I got a missionary sent us a video, and I want to play that video. I said, that'd be fine, preacher. I'd enjoy that. So this, this video started and this preacher got up from Papua New Guinea and he said, we're trying to build a church. We're trying to build a church, get it under, under roof so that we can meet and not be out in the rain and in the elements and, and uh, in the heat. He said, uh, we need $3,000 in order to build this building. And the Holy Ghost said to me, what you got squirreled away in that wallet down there? I know you got money squirreled away. You've been saving. I know you got book money in that wallet there and now the Holy Ghost said wouldn't you much rather be involved in building a building over in Papua New Guinea than getting another book and so I got out I didn't begrudge God over it hey I'll probably I'll probably never hallelujah I'll probably never make it to Papua New Guinea I'll probably never go by but my fingerprints are on that building over there and when they meet there'll be blessings of God in my life God, God wants what you have. Yep, he wants what you have. He wants what you have. I, I was preaching up in Michigan been several years ago now. I was a preaching and uh, I don't know how this got in the message. I, it wasn't in my notes. Uh, I hadn't rehearsed it. I don't know how it got in there. But so, and it didn't even go with what I was preaching. But somewhere in the middle of the sermon, for some reason, I guess God was in it. I said, some of you got things in your living room. They're gathering dust. You don't use them. Nobody else uses them. They ain't doing anybody any good. Why don't you give them to God and see what God can do with them? I didn't know why I said it. But after the service, this lady came up. She's a weeping and crying. Big old tears going down her cheeks. She said, preacher, you know what I got in my living room covered with dust? I said, no, what? She said, I got a hammer dulcimer. I got the stand that sits on the hammers you play it with. I got the case that goes in it. She said, it's covered with dust. Don't nobody use it. Nobody's ever used it. It just sits in the living room covered with dust. She said, can you do something with it? I said, well, I can't. But I know somebody who can. Because what she didn't know was just a few weeks before, this missionary was headed to Japan 
He said to me, Brother McBride, I need a hammer dulcimer. He said, I can take that hammer dulcimer to Japan and I can make music that sounds like what they're used to. And he said, I can play gospel hymns on it. And he said, I can gather folks around and they can hear the gospel. And so I called him on the phone. I said, guess what I've got? He said, what? I said, I've got a hammer dulcimer. I've got the stand. I've got the case. He said, don't pull my leg, preacher. I said, I'm not. I had more faith than he did, I guess. I said, I'm not pulling your leg. I got a hammer dulcimer and it's yours. He Skyped me one day. He Skyped me one day. He's playing hymns on that thing. He said, I take this out on the corner. I play play hymns on that hammer dulcimer and I get a crowd gathered around and I preach the gospel to them and people get saved. That thing had just been gathering dust in that lady's room. Now it's gathering treasures in heaven. Amen. God wants what you have. Why don't you right now, not tomorrow, why don't you now give God what you have? Take now, thy son. Not only did he he want what Abraham had, but watch what else it said. Take now thy son, comma, thine only son, Isaac. Now here's a problem. Because Isaac is not Abraham's only son. He got another boy. You remember him? His name is Ishmael. And what happened was Abraham, Romans chapter 4 said, he was not weak in faith, said he was fully persuaded that what the Lord had promised he was able to do. It said he considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, but was fully persuaded. But Sarah was not fully persuaded. And so one day, God had promised Abraham that boy over there in Genesis 15, and now it's been, it's been quite a few years since the promise, and the boy hadn't come. And Sarah said, Behold, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Take my handmaid, that I might obtain children by her. And the Bible said that Abraham hearkened unto the voice of his wife, and he went into that handmaid, and a child was born named Ishmael but he was the child according to the New Testament after the flesh and not after the promise. Paul uses that, makes that distinction when you get in Galatians about the child of promise and the child after the flesh. And so now Abraham has this boy Ishmael, but God does not say, take thy son Ishmael. He said, take thine only son Isaac, thine only son Isaac. What is God doing? God is putting emphasis on Abraham's tomorrows because every hope for the future that Abraham had lay in Isaac, not in Ishmael. Can I say this to you? God not only wants what you have, God wants what you hope for. God not only wants your possessions, he wants your preparations. God wants your dreams. He wants your ambitions. He wants your hopes. He wants what you're looking for down the road. Don't just give him your today. Give him your tomorrow. When I was eight years old, I got rooting around in the basement right before Christmas. I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did. And I found an acoustic guitar. And I found it, and because I found it, it it was my Christmas present, because I found it, 
I wasn't supposed to get it for Christmas because the rule was if you snooped around and found your present, you didn't get it. But my parents had mercy on me and they had bought me an airline acoustic guitar out of the Montgomery Ward's catalog. I was eight years old. When I got that thing on Christmas morning, I turned the key first. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to play the guitar. I started turning them tuners and the first thing I did, there were six strings. I broke four of them off right off the bat. My dad was so upset about it, it was two years before he'd buy me another set. So I got a guitar when I was eight, but I never started playing till I was 10, except for them two strings. That might be where I learned to sing harmony. I'm not sure. I don't know if you've ever seen a two-string guitar before. I've still got that guitar, by the way. But I started playing that guitar, and then I went and saved up my money, and I bought me a noble electric guitar, big old black thing, about as heavy as a log, and about played the same way. And then I got a job, and I saved up my money, and I bought a Les Paul Jr. Now, that was a guitar. And I'd go down in the basement, preacher, and I'd crank up the radio and the, and the stereo and the LP long play record. And I'd listen to ZZ Top and Ted Nugent and a bunch of hard rockers. And I know this is hard to imagine when you look at me, but I had old long red hair and it was bushy. I looked like a red-headed Sasquatch. And I'd be down in the basement and I'd have that stereo cranked up so loud the the phone was about 12 foot from me and if it rang, I wouldn't hear it. I had the stereo too loud. I was down there playing that electric guitar and dancing around, hopping around in that basement room, you know, playing them licks on that guitar. And my dream was that one day I was gonna spend the rest of my life, I was gonna spend every night standing up in front of a crowd playing that electric guitar, hearing them cheer. That was my dream. I was playing that hard rock and all that stuff. But you know what? When I was, tw- when I was 23 years old, I got born again. And God changed my epic and change my taste and I put away all that hard rock and roll but you know you know what I do now listen to me now you know what I do just about every day of my life I stand up in front of a crowd play the fiddle play the banjo play the guitar play the mandolin play the dobro and you know what God did I gave him my tomorrows and God sanctified my dream he sanctified my dream I get to do what I dreamed about without heading and without horror and without hangovers and without heartaches and I get to do it for the glory of God. You say, preacher, I got a dream. Give it to God and let him sanctify it. Give him what you hope for. What's your dream? Hey, young person. You, young ladies, you got dreams, you got hopes. Why don't you give them to God and God will sanctify them. He'll make a dream worth dreaming. He'll make a hope worth hoping for. God wanted what Abraham had. God wanted what Abraham hoped for. And then watch this. Take now thy son, comma, Thine only son Isaac, comma, now watch this. 
whom thou lovest. God wants what you have. God wants what you hope for. And God wants whatever has your heart. Whatever has your heart. Because whatever it is that has your heart is stealing it from the one who ought to have it. Everyone, whatever it is that has your heart that keeps you turned toward it instead of turned toward God is robbing you and robbing God. What has your heart? Now, it might be some good thing or it might be some low-down, sorry, wicked thing that has a hold of your heart. You think about it. You dwell on it. You look for it. You run after it. You say, preacher, what should I do with it? God wants it. Whether it's a good thing or a filthy thing, you bring it, put it on the altar, say, Lord, I'm done with this. You do with it whatever you think's right. I'm not gonna love this more than I love you. I'm not gonna love this one all to love you. I'm not gonna have a divided heart. Now you think about Abraham. He had prayed, he had asked for this boy. He'd just come back from from rescuing Lot and the Sodomites from those kings and the king of Sodom wanted to give him something and Abraham said something like this. He said, I've lifted up my hand to the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He said, I'll not take anything from you, not to a shoe latchet. He said, only what the young men have taken. And he said, lest thou say, lest thou sayest, I've made Abraham rich. And so he just turned down what the world had and he's standing there <laughs> and God has a habit of doing this. You turn down what the world offers you and God has a habit of come walking by and God comes walking by and he said fear not Abraham I am thy shield and thine exceeding great reward and Abraham said what shalt thou give me seeing I go childless and mine heir is one born in my house and God said this shall not be thine heir but one that cometh forth from thine own bowels shall be thine heir took him out showed him the stars of the heaven I said that's what's going to be like if a man can number the stars of the heaven and number the sand of the seashore I so shall thy seed be. Now I like this. The Bible said Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Paul gives us a commentary on that in the New Testament in Romans 4. He said what shall we say then that Abraham our fathers pertaining to the flesh hath found for if Abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory but not before God. But what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You know how Abraham got righteous? He believed what God said about a promised son. You know how I got righteous? I believed what God said about another promised son by the name of Jesus. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. That boy had Abraham's heart. God said, I want your heart. I want what has your heart. What has your heart today? What's got a hold on you? Why don't you give it to God? Now, someone will say, preacher, all right. God wants what I have. God wants what I hope for. God wants what has my heart. Why should I give it to him? Why should I, preacher? Why? Well, let's find out why. I want you to see what God did with what Abraham gave. What would God do with what I have if I gave it to him? So Abraham gave God what he had, his son that he'd waited for. 
And here's what the Bible said. They came to the place, verse 9, which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and Isaac the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay him. The angel of the Lord called on him out of, Ab- out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham, now watch it, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. If I can borrow a little illustration from my dear friend Joe Arthur, when Abraham and Isaac were coming up this side of the mountain, God nudged a ram on the other side of the mountain, said head up there on the top, Abraham needs you up there. And so while they were coming up this way, that ram was coming up that way, and he Here's Isaac, a picture of the sinner laid there upon in the first part of this, laid there on that altar, and here comes the ram. And the Bible said that Isaac offered up the ram in the stead of his son. And then he said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. In the New Testament, Jesus said this. He was preaching to some uh, Jews, and he said, your your father Abraham rejoiced to, to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. He said, Paul said in Galatians, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen by faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. So I want to say when did Abraham see Jesus? When did he see the cross? When did he have the gospel preached to him? i tell you where he did. When he's up there on that mountain and he offered up a ram in the stead of his son. A substitutionary offering. You know what happened? When Abraham gave to God what he had, God took it and made it a reflection of what God was going to give the world. There ain't no telling what God would do with what you give him. If you give it to him, he'll turn it around and make it a reflection of what he has given the world. He'll use it to get the gospel out. Say, preacher, you got scripture on that? I think so. Second, Second Corinthians chapter nine, Paul is talking about giving, you remember? He said, he's talking to those that had given to Zippor at Jerusalem. He said, you gave out of your necessity instead out of your abundance. He said, God loveth a cheerful giver. He said, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He's talking about giving. And he gets down the end of our chapter. In that, and you remember what he does? I see him lean back after he'd been talking about all that giving and he says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He said, you know what your giving was? It was a reflection of the giving that God gave and it just makes me think about Jesus. God will take what you give and he'll make it a reflection of what he gives. What about what did he do with what Abraham hoped for? Watch what it says in verse 15. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only, list that emphasis, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. You know what he did? He not only made Abraham a reflection, but now he's going to get involved in multiplication. He puts emphasis on you only had one son. That's, that's all where all of Abraham's hopes lie. But God said, here's what I'm gonna do because you gave me what you hoped for. I'm gonna multiply what you gave me and give you more sons than you ever dreamed possible. And the only way you can count them is if a man could count the stars of the heaven and the sand on the seashore. You know what God will do if you'll give him what you hope for? He'll take your tomorrows and fill them up with things that you never dreamed possible. He'll do exceeding, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. Multiplication. My father-in-law went, some of you knew my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord about a month ago. He had liver cancer and it spread into his lungs. And for a little while he had that BiPAP thing on, couldn't breathe without it. But they got it out the last day of his life and they put him on this real big tube of oxygen, put it in. He's sitting up in the bed. I couldn't be there, but, but my, my, my wife and her two sisters and her mother were all there around the bed. I, was, I, I just I, uh, finished preaching on a Sunday in Gray, Georgia, and he's in Michigan. And my daughter Bethany and I were driving down the road and, and Bethany said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to FaceTime. And so they FaceTimed and I, I was driving so I couldn't look at him, but I could talk to him as the last day of his life. He's, he's laying in that bed uh, and he's writing out his obituary and he's telling the, he's telling the nurse how she can get born again and they're talking there and, and, and I'm talking to him and he said to me, he said Brian, that's a good decision we made uh, it was 40 years ago. He said that's a good decision we made 40 years ago to go on the road and start traveling and preaching the gospel. He said that's a good decision. I said it sure was Papa. He said those are the greatest days of my life. I traveled around from church to church telling people about Jesus and those are the greatest days of my life. Now here's an 86 year old man getting home, getting ready to go home to be with Jesus. You say, somebody might say, well, I did this and I had that and I had the other thing, but Papa gave God all of his tomorrows and when he lay on his deathbed ready to see Jesus, he said that was the best days of my life was serving the Lord. By the way, can I just tell you this? I just tell you this, it ain't in the message. I won't charge you any extra. I'll just tell you this. Uh, Papa would drift off to sleep. Every time he'd wake up, he'd count and make sure everybody's there, four of them. And then he said to Nana, he said, I don't know what's going on, but every time I drift off to sleep, I have the same dream. I have it every time I close my eyes. He said, every time I close my eyes, I see a beautiful green meadow and there's somebody standing in the middle of it looking at me and I can't quite make out who he is. I tell you, I believe he's made out who he is now. I'm just saying, you give God your tomorrows, you will will never regret giving God what you hope for. God will multiply what you give him. Here's the last thing. When, God, when Abraham gave God what he had, God made him a reflection. When he gave God what he hoped for, God got involved with multiplication. And when he gave God what had his heart, God gave him a consolation. Now I want you to notice something in this passage because we read something a moment ago 
that we hadn't read in our Bible until this passage. We heard God say something that, we had, that no human being had ever heard him say until this passage. In this passage, after Abraham gives God what has his heart, God says this in verse 16, and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. We've never heard God say that. Nobody's ever heard God take an oath and swear by himself. Nobody had ever heard it till then. Now we're going to hear it afterwards, but Abraham's the first living person to ever hear God say, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. Now you say, preacher, what's so important about that? Well, the Hebrew writer gives us commentary on it in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now that word consolation, that's what the Hebrew writer uses to describe what we get from God swearing by himself, taking an oath. He said it gives the heirs of salvation a strong consolation. Now that word consolation in our language today, we associate it with second place. We say, well, they got the consolation prize. But that's not what it means in the Bible. Get your Strong's Concordance. Look it up. Consolation means a soulless, something for the heart. And it means to draw or to call near. So what he's saying is, when God, now think about this. When Abraham gave God what had his heart, God said, come over here and let me show you my heart. Let me show you something I've never showed anybody else. Let me tell you something about me that you didn't know, Abraham. When you give God what has your heart, you can expect a holy God in heaven to let you know a little something about his heart, to draw you near and let you see him in a way you ain't never seen him before. You see, because whatever it is that has your heart is clouding your view of what God is really like. But when you give it to him, God will say, come over here. I want to show you something. I want you to see something you've never seen before. I want us to be closer than we've ever been before. But it only happens when God gets our hearts or what has our heart that thing that's got a hold of your heart is clouding your vision of the heart of God it's why you feel so far from him it's why you don't feel close but when Abraham gave God what had his heart God said come here I'm going to show you something about me I'm going to tell you, don't, you know the old songwriter had it right. He said, more about Jesus would I know. I'd like to know more about him. But if I want to know more about him, I'm going to have to give him whatever it is that has a hold of my heart. Now I'm going to tell you one more. I'm going to give you one illustration. I, I want to be done. I'm thinking about a story I heard years ago. I don't remember where I heard it. I think I've got it right. But I heard about a little boy who had saved up a, a, a nickel 
And in those days, it was hard to come by a nickel. It took a long time. And he'd saved up that nickel and he, he decided he was going to go into the mercantile, the general store, and he's going to spend his nickel that he'd, been, that he'd been saving up. So he walked in the store and he laid that nickel down on the counter and he looked at the manager of the mercantile and he said, uh, the general store, he said, what can a fella get for a nickel around here? And the manager looked at that nickel and looked on the shelf and he picked up a big jar full of rock candy and he held it for that little boy and he said, now around here, a fella can get a handful for a nickel. And he expected that little boy to reach in and grab that rock candy, but he didn't. He ran out the door and left the nickel on the counter. And that fella standing there holding that rock candy wonders what's going on. And a little while that boy come back in pulling his daddy by the hand. And he walked up to the counter and he said, handful for a nickel, right? Fell said, yeah. He said, daddy, reach in there and get us a handful. And then he grinned at that shop owner and he said, daddy has bigger handfuls than I have. Can I tell you something, dear Christian friend? Your heavenly father has bigger handfuls than what you have. And you can hang on to what you have and hang on to what you hope for and hang on to whatever it is that has your heart and you might get some passing satisfaction out of it, but if you'll give it to him, he will pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain it. He will show you himself. He will take what you give him and multiply it. I'm telling you, friend, that's what God wanted from Abraham. Can I put it bluntly? Everything. And when Abraham gave it to him, you know, I, Abraham gave God his son. God gave him right back. And then multiplied Abraham's son. Would you do so? Would you think about this this afternoon? Would you think about what you have that you could give to God? Would you think about what you're hoping for? And would you say, Lord, I want you to have my tomorrows my dreams, my ambitions. Would you search your heart and see what has a hold of it? Would you bow at an altar and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you because I want you more than I want this. Would you do that? That's what God wants. And I'm going to tell you it'd be worth everything in the world to find out about God what Abraham found out, to get close to him this afternoon. Let him have what he asked for. Let's pray, Father.